The best practice for dealing with fraud is to prevent it from ever happening. This is Forensically Speaking, where host Jonathan Marks will help you understand the forensic side of compliance so you can move from detection to prevention in your compliance program. Here's your host, Jonathan Marks. Hello, this is Jonathan Marks, and this is Forensically Speaking. Today's part one episode will focus on corporate governance. We're going to look into defining good governance and the evolving executive and board of directors capabilities. We're also going to explore different approaches to consider when evolving your leadership and creating or enhancing your board. Corporate governance encompasses systems and processes that support sound decision-making and prevent or dissuade potentially self-interested persons from engaging in activities that are detrimental to the welfare of the stakeholders. In other words, fraud. Some of the key learning objectives for today's podcast, let's go over all four. We're going to understand the key elements of a best-in-class governance framework, learn why key practices are fundamental to the successful board, and how to create or improve the board. We're going to help enhance your oversight process to be focused and sufficiently comprehensive. And we are going to recognize or help you recognize organizational situations that it could encourage bad behavior. And some of these will be discussed in part one, some of these will be discussed in part two, but those are the key learning objectives. So again, governance, what is it? I'm sure you've all heard the term corporate governance, and it is to some an amorphous concept. However, corporate governance can be defined as the systems and processes of an organization which protect the interests of and add value to its diverse stakeholder groups. Uh, For example, shareholders, employees, customers, vendors, and the community. So why should we care about governance? Why? Um, You know, it's been talked about for years and years. You know, everybody says that you have to have it. You know, why should we care? Well, there is generally um, an increase in the sensitivity around corporate governance, and I think those are focused because of a bunch of different things. For example, the changing nature of our global economy and the volatility of the economy, you know, the increase in regulatory scrutiny and the damage to corporate reputations, which we'll get into in a moment. The other thing is that credit agencies are starting to care and they are starting to look at some of what I will call the components of a good governance framework, for example, enterprise-wide risk management. So corporate governance is is important for a bunch of reasons. Um, I will articulate a few. I'm sure you have your own, but you you need it to meet legal requirements and fiduciary responsibility to investors and other stakeholders. Uh, It does, and it has been proven to increase stakeholder return. It can be used to attract and retain qualified people, gain community support, and it, obviously a competitive advantage you know, to the overall organization. It helps maintain and improve your reputation, you know, attracting investors and the like, and setting the tone of the organization as well. So those are some of the reasons why governance is important. You might be saying to yourself, well, I'm a board member or I'm an owner of a company or a family-owned business and I really don't have a board. Well, that really shouldn't matter and I'll explain why. Corporate governance is often misunderstood. It is not 
a practice reserved for large multinational firms and publicly listed companies. It is not a science, nor is it something that is complex to implement. And I wanted to reiterate that. It is not a science, nor is it something that is complex to implement. It's an important aspect of the enterprise, and here are reasons why you should focus on corporate governance at the onset of any venture, of any venture. Because, as I said previously in my opening remarks, it manages complex decision-making. Startups are just as complex as large multinational firms, albeit in a different fashion. It saves you time. Anyone that has been involved in startups know that decisions need to be made quickly. Your ability to maneuver and take swift decisions, uh, make swift decisions, can make or break your strategy. So your ability to basically shuck and jive and be able to make quick decisions quickly, you know, can make or break your strategy. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of examples related to that. Uh, you know, for example, finding you know partners or suppliers or um, you know banks and financial institutions that you should be involved with. There, a lot of times when you're a startup, you know, there are a lot of things that happen very, very quickly. Sometimes it comes in bunches, and you don't have the capacity, you know, to deal with these things. But having a governance process in place, you know, or or having the mindset of a governance process certainly, you know, can enhance all of that. It also promotes investor confidence. A corporate governance framework and a playbook or a process are usually among the first thing bankers and others ask to see when requesting funding. Seeing a well-laid-out approach to the, to the organization's accountability, responsibility, and timing of decisions among shareholders, board of directors, and the CEO gives an investor or a bank clarity and confidence on the structure of your venture. So in other words, they just don't think it's a fly-by-night organization or something that's just slapped together. There's some real thought behind it. You know, it's not a Potemkin village. It's not doesn't look pretty on the outside, and you open it up, and there's nothing there. You know, I talked about before, you know, helping, you know, prevent, you know, possibly bad things from happening. And if we go around and we look at some of the organizations that were impacted by poor corporate governance for, you know, and these these have been talked about and written about for years, WorldCom, Enron, Tyco, Krispy Kreme, City, Bear Stearns, Adelphia, Parmalat, HealthSouth, Ahold. I mean, pick your own, but, and there, there's much more, but, you know, that wheel of misfortune, you know, certainly has really uh, shined a light on governance and the governance process. Governance and has been linked to shareholder return on investment, good governance. Um, and it's been written around by the University of Michigan Business School, the Columbia Law Review, Business Weeks had articles about this, McKenzie's had articles about this, Journal, the Journal of Economics, you know, has articles about this. But, you know, good governance really does promote a lot of different things, and it has been linked to shareholder return on investment. So let's talk about what are the key components of a good governance framework. Let's start with boards and committees. Um, that's one element. Legal and regulatory is another. Business practices and ethics is another. Communication is critical. That's another. Enterprise-wide risk management is another. That's four. Monitoring, 
or five. That's monitoring is another. Disclosure and transparency is another. So when we look at boards and committees, legal and regulatory, business practices and ethics, communication, enterprise-wide risk management, monitoring, and disclosure and transparency, those are the cornerstones of a good governance framework. And those things need to be integrated and working in a harmonious fashion in order to be effective. When I talk about good governance, the other reason why it's so critical is that when it comes to good governance, governance is really the beginning. Uh, when, when we talk about the concept of GRC, and you've heard that term, I'm sure, if you haven't, it's governance, risk, and compliance. Well, governance, risk, and compliance is a waterfall concept, meaning that you have to have really good governance to have good risk management. When you have good risk management, risk management drives the compliance process. So it is tantamount to have you know all the components there acting in a harmonious fashion. The other thing is that the governance framework sits on top of the culture of the organization. And when the culture of the organization is tilted, so generally is the governance framework. So um, we're not getting into that in this episode, but we will talk about it in the future. And if you're interested in learning more about culture, you know, please ping me and you know, I'll try to enhance uh, um, uh, a session pretty quickly. But that all being said, when we look at these seven components, you know, acting in a harmonious fashion, those are the key components of a governance process. And again, in part one of today's podcast, we'll go through a few of them. Um, and, and then on part two, we'll hit on the others. So I think what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about boards and committees, legal and regulatory, and business practices and ethics today. And then on part two, we'll talk about communication, enterprise-wide risk management, monitoring, and disclosure and transparency. What are your opportunities related to evolving your governance or your organizational governance? There are a lot there are a lot of opportunities related to the to evolving your organizational governance process or framework. Um, it is not a set it and forget it exercise. It is something that evolves over time. You know, things change, committees change, people change. So um, the structure of the organization might change. You know, so all those things change over time. But there are opportunities related to evolving your organizational governance uh, uh, process from an ad hoc type of a process to something that's a little bit more optimized or optimized in certain areas. So let's talk about boards and committees, the roles. The roles of the board and committees, they're to review and clarify the direction and value of the organization. They oversee performance of the organization. They protect stakeholder interests. They define responsibilities and assign accountability, okay, and monitor accountability. Boards nose in, fingers off. They're to be there to oversee not to manage the day-to-day. However, I will tell you that in practice, and I'm sure most of you know this, when there is a weakness or a perceived weakness in the executive leadership team, oftentimes what happens is the board does kind of reach around and reach over and get involved. Those types of things can be dangerous, but um, I'm telling you that does really happen in practice. Um, One of the challenges here is to implement a unique strategy that takes into account the individuality of the organization. There's no governance framework that can be inserted from another company into another because they're all a little bit different. Um, The other challenge is focus board and committee efforts to support 
uh, strong decision making, right? Um, a lot of the work, and we're going to talk about this, should really be done at the committee level, not at the board level. And that is why when the committee work comes to the board, one of the challenges is forming a board with diverse perspectives. If you have everyone that has the same thoughts and ideas, that's generally not good. You know, in every board, you have people that have different personalities and different perspectives, and those are good. It's good to have people that challenge you. It's good to have people with different perspectives. So those are good things. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're developing a board or you're just getting started, you know, don't try to go out and find people that are just like you. Try to find people that compliment you, that fill a specific skill. You should have a skills matrix and, you know, certainly have diverse perspectives. So the director's roles and responsibilities, right? We're in the boards and committees segment uh, here of the corporate governance framework. Let's talk about strategy. Understand and help guide the direction of the organization. Oversee the execution of the strategy. However, as I said, do not manage the company. You do not manage the company. That's for the executive leadership team and others to manage the company. You're there as an overseer. You're in an oversight role. Leadership. Hire the CEO. Set goals for the organization. Challenge the organization. Determine the compensation of the CEO. And certainly monitor the organizational health, right? Risk assessment. Understand the company's risks. But before we get into that, understand the company. It is imperative as a board member or a committee member to understand the company. There are countless times where I've had conversations with board members and I ask them about the business and they really don't understand the, their own business. Um, how can you be so, how could somebody be there to oversee something that they don't understand? So to me, Understand the business, then understand the company's risks and ensure that those risks are being effectively addressed and that those risks are being monitored. And that, the, again, this is not a set it and forget it exercise, that risks and everything evolves as, as change and as we move through, you know, as time, as time lapses. So we constantly have to be checking in to make sure that we're looking at the right risks for the right reasons and we're addressing those risks on a timely fashion. The general oversight of operations is another role and responsibility and to ensure that the company is in compliance with laws and regulations. And we'll get into that uh, not too long. Let's talk about the real world, you know, um, being a director, you need to bring competence. You need to bring experience. You bring, need to bring your perspective. You have to have objectivity to the board and, its, and, and, and any deliberations that transpire. You, you need to do that. Um, that. That's the expectation. It's real work, folks. Um, to, be to be a trusted part of the team, it's real work. It can be fulfilling and even fun at times. And, you know, I sit on a few boards and it's, it's a lot of responsibility and I do have fun. Um, and I do enjoy speaking with people with diverse perspectives and actually learning in every discussion and supporting, you know, um, supporting others as well. You need to be able to commit the time that's needed. You need to be ready, willing, and able to walk away if necessary. So in other words, you know, if you feel that the organization is not something that, um, you could participate in or you feel that there are some things that are being done that you know you don't feel comfortable with you need to walk away 
You need to listen well and communicate. You need to be willing to take some risks. You need to spend time, again, uh, you know, understanding the, the inner workings of the organization, the enterprise and the extended enterprise. Know the organizational operations, structure, policies, procedures, controls. Um, know where the weaknesses and gaps are. Um, again, in the real world, being a director today, that's really the minimum. Boards and committees, again, continuing on this topic of boards and committees, committees do the work. Let me say it again. Committees do the work. Uh, all too often, I'm in a board meeting and we're actually doing work and uh, you know, I challenge everyone to push that back to the committee level. You know, typical committees, for those that are new to this, there's often a nominating committee, there's a governance committee, there's an audit committee, a compensation committee, a finance committee. If you're in financial services, there could be a risk committee. And today, there's some newly formed compliance committees. Um, you know, committee charters spell out scope, and the committees report to the board. I have been spending a great deal of time... Uh, in, in my own in, in my own world, working on making sure that the committees are doing the work and that at the board we're having robust discussions and we're actually making decisions based on the work that the committees are doing. That really didn't exist in the in the world that I live in and the organization that I was that that have been involved with. So that that's transpiring now. Um, you know, it, it is a little bit of a challenge, but I think overall they're doing a good job. Effective committees. Um, what does an effective committee look like? It, it has a clear job description and defined goals. It has a chair who is able to involve all members of the, in the committee work and that is able to communicate with other members of the board. It has members who are committed and willing to spend the needed time to accomplish their tasks. It has a sense of being part of the full board and not working in isolation. It has an understanding of time constraints and deadlines. It has an understanding that it does not make decisions. Rather, it advises, recommends, or carries out a specific task. It assesses its own achievements, right? So those are, those are some key things from a committee perspective. Who are the resources that can assist you? Well, there's the general counsel, chief risk officer, CEO, COO, and CFO, outside counsel, um, internal audit directors, staff, outside consultants, chief compliance officers, and shareholders. You should have your folks or your trusted source of, of people or advisors that can assist you in whatever the, whatever you're doing. And that's really, really important, especially today. Um, again, depending on the size of your organization, you know, some of these things that I talked about, if you're a smaller or a family-owned organization, might not have a chief risk officer, might not have a chief compliance officer, might not have a CFO, um, you know, uh, might not have a general counsel. But you can certainly engage outside consultants that have those skills or requisite skills and keep them you know, close by and help you in not only the decision-making process, but if and when issues arise. So you know, those trusted advisors are very, very, very critical um, and, and, and obviously important in the success of the organization. One of the other components, like I mentioned before, there are seven components that I, that I outline is legal and regulatory, and legal and regulatory element. Even if you're not a lawyer, you know it's something that should be understood. You need to understand the legal and regulatory landscape and the ecosystem that you operate in. You need to be knowledgeable about, you know, which um, legal and regulatory um, areas affect certain parts of your business. Uh, there might be certain parts of your business that are covered by one 
legal requirement or regulatory requirement and others are not. So you need to understand that if you're a global organization, you know, certainly compound those issues because now that expands to all the legal and regulatory uh, compliance issues related to the companies or areas that you operate in. You need to coordinate regulatory responses, especially important in highly specialized and regulated industry. And you need to link regulation and, and risk management to all the regulations in the business environment. So in other words, like I said, understand where those things, where those pain points are, um, or where the legal and regulatory aspects um, you know, do come into play from an operational perspective. Some of the challenges is maintaining an understanding of compliance requirements in a, in a dynamic especially today, regulatory environment, ensure that internal audit compliance and legal are all working together. I call that illustratively the Bermuda Triangle. Think of it as a triangle with legal on the top and compliance and internal audit at the bottom. You know, if they're not working harmoniously and they, they're not communicating and collaborating, you know, there could be disaster there. Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be, but there is an opportunity if they're not. The last element that I want to talk about is business practices and ethics and the director's role in the organization's moral boundaries, right? You should be targeting and identifying integrity risks to and in the organization, so inside and outside the organization. Emphasize, emphasizing clear and well-defined business practices is, is also obviously key here You know, when it comes to business practices and ethics. Corporate governance policies, business strategy, and mission statements should all be very, very clear. Business processes and procedures should be updated, readily available to folks, um, and simple to understand. Performance goals and measured should be clearly articulated again and, 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 and again understood. Compensation systems, same thing. Human resource policies and procedures. Code of ethics, which is really sort of the crown jewel or the really the tipping off point, you know, and tone at the top. But not tone at the top, tone from the top. There's a difference, in my opinion. Tone at the top means that things resonate at the executive level. Tone from the top means that that messaging actually resonates down and through the organization. Over the years, people have been saying, you know, there's some mood in the middle or buzz at the bottom. That's malarkey. The, if there's proper tone from the top, that, mes- that message will resonate down and through. It'll cut down and through and across the organization. And yes, the mood in the middle is something that, you know, has has come to light here. It's important. And buzz at the bottom, you know, those are fancy terms. But at the end of the day, it's really toned from the top. And it is, 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 is the walk and the talk something that's understood. And more importantly, and you should really understand this and really take note here, tone from the top does not mean, or good tone from the top does not mean you have an ethical organization. Culture does play a role here, and sometimes culture is something to slow to come along. Sometimes culture is something that you know is something that um, you know is woven like a like a like a like a tapestry because of either mergers or acquisitions or divestitures or turnover or changes. So it's pretty pretty. It's it's tough sometimes, but. Um, do not mistake having good tone from the top as meaning that you have an ethical organization. You still need proper policies and procedures, proper training, proper controls in place in order to ensure that things are being done and things are being done appropriately and that you're minimizing risks. Again, not boiling the ocean, but taking a risk-based approach and minimizing risk. The big challenge here is establishing an ethical business practices 
that keep up with the expectations of stakeholders and personnel. And the only way to do that is to really stay involved and keep your pulse on the, on the cadence and the, and the, and of the organization. A director strategy to ensure ethical business practices uh, permeate through the organization, like I said, ask good questions and expect real answers, engage, set a good and high ethical standard, create a climate for ethical behavior and practice, hold management accountable to the same standard, no double standards. Again, and, and board committees and, and boards follow the same standards. If ethical practices and strategies are wrong, uh, nothing else will be right. It really drives everything else that we're talking about. Don't underestimate the time needed in order to effectuate and, and, and ensure that business practices and ethics are built into the fabric of the organization and that they're operationalized. And don't underestimate the benefit of clearly defined, well-communicated, consistently enforced um, ethical strategies or plans. And we talk about enforcement. We're talking about making tough decisions, sometimes exiting a relationship or terminating an employee. But those things, you know, really do. It's, it, if the if the um, facts are are, are appropriate um, and they all line up, need to be done in order to you know maintain you know the ethical um, underpinnings of an organization. That wraps up uh, section one or part one of governance. My name is Jonathan Marks, and this is Forensically Speaking. I hope that you enjoyed yourself um, and learned something new, and I look forward to hearing and speaking with you soon. Again, my name is Jonathan Marks, and this is Forensically Speaking. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Forensically Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and help us spread the word by leaving a review. 